house, stay a little bit, and then leave. And that's great. <laughs> no more little kids, no diapers. That's a wonderful thing. Wonderful thing. Come on in. You're all good. You're all good. <clears throat> well, this morning we're going to turn into the book of Acts chapter 1, and you can just hold it there. We're just going to be in there for a little bit, but there's some things we need to cover. Uh, we won't stray far from it. This is the first day, the first Sunday of the year, and we finished up, Mark, pretty good idea of what the new year is going to behold as we're starting it out in the book of Acts. My um, theme, if there is a theme for this year, is going to be, I'm calling this a season of hope, a season of hope that 2019 will be a Listen, and you guys know I'm not big on like, hey, and it's going to be the best year ever. I'm not going to tell you that kind of stuff. I'm not going to say that kind of stuff. I don't want to be cliche or anything like that, but I do believe it is a season of hope. Um, and not because I say it's going to be, because I do believe that that's the life of the believer, that the more we draw closer to Jesus, the more we draw closer to God, it's, it's kind of hard not to be hopeful. I mean, if you hang around Jesus enough, one of the things we watch through uh, uh, the Gospels, and even as we studied last week through talking about Lazarus' life, you know, one of the, to me, one of the greatest points that God shows me through uh, what happened with Lazarus is this. When he says, hey, uh, uh, I'm coming, Lazarus won't die. But then when he gets there, what do they tell him? Lazarus is dead. Well, wait a minute, Jesus, are you a liar? Jesus is, no, he's obviously not a liar. But by the time he gets to healing Lazarus, he's been dead for four days. They said, don't open the tomb. You ain't going to like that smell. That's, that's what they said. They said, hey, he's, he's going to smell. He's going to be bloated a little bit, and he's going to smell. It's not going to be a good scene, Jesus. He's like, open the tomb. We're going to deal with this, right? And one of the greatest things, I think, coming out of 2018, the last sermon basically moving into this one, is this, and maybe that's the reason it was God's message, is no matter what you think's dead in your life, and it could physically be dead, whatever that dream is, whatever that physical thing in your life, that maybe the thing you've been holding on to, and you thought, man, I told God about it like they told God about Lazarus. And God said, yeah, I'm coming, and he never came, and that thing died. You know what that Lazarus tells us? That it ain't over. It ain't over. That God can still show up and just go, move the, move the stone aside. Well, I'm telling you, it's long since dead. The, the, the resources aren't there anymore. I don't care. Move the tomb. I don't care. Move that stone aside. I'm going to resurrect this thing back to life. I said I would do it, and I'm going to do it. So I'm believing in 2019, if not for my own life, for our church too, is that this is a season of hope. That just because things can appear one way doesn't mean that they are one way because God's promises are sure. This is Jesus, man. Right? Just like the end of a year and the start of a new one. When we read the Gospels, it's the same way. Listen, the Gospel is not the end of Jesus' ministry as soon as the Gospel of Mark was over. That's just one chapter closing and another one opening. Right? That's the way it is. Listen, it's just a season. It's not over. There's more to the story, and here's where we press in. And listen, why? Because what changed people in the gospel stories and the early church isn't an experience that they had in their life. It wasn't an experience that caused them to make changes in their life. No, they encountered God himself. This is our pursuit this year. Not for an experience, but they encountered God. Experiences in life are wonderful things. Man, I love going to Colorado. That's become one of my favorite trips of the year. I've been, man, my wife will tell you, she gets mad at me because I get obsessed over it. I was, I'm already looking for the trails. There's like one trail that's like 20, 
26 miles right now I'm looking at. It goes across to the maroon bells. And when the sun hits the mountains, they turn into these maroon bells. Is what, that's where they get their name. And it is some of the most breathtaking scenery that I think there is on the planet. But can I tell you, none of that, none of that comes close to having an encounter with God. For all my spiritual longing for the Colorado trip and the loving to just get out there and in the quietness and next to the mountains, nothing Nothing comes close to an encounter with God. That's when people are changed. Experiences are great, but an encounter of God, an encounter with God, you know what it does? It changes you. It will change your habits. Do you know that? It will change all your like normal habits. You know, I used to hang around guys all the time. I used to be an alcoholic. I used to do drugs. I used to hang around all these kind of guys that weren't going to help me move any farther in my life. And it changed all of that and said, no, I've got to leave all these guys behind because I need to pursue something that's so much greater than I. And it wasn't the dream of God's going to give me some great ministry. You know what it was? I just want to be close to whatever this is, God. When I encountered you, this feeling that I get when I am next to you, I need more of that. I need more of that. I need more of this connection between you and I, so much so that I am willing to forego my friends, forego all these things, God, do whatever it takes, change my habits, change my lifestyle, leave a job, pursue a job, you know, do whatever it takes to get there. God shifts your habits. It's an encounter with God that changes your even countenance. You, you don't see me as the alcoholic, the drug addict, or anything like that. I go back to Kaufman, where I'm from, they're probably like, hey man, you got some on you right now, can I help? Like, no man, I'll do that. And you don't even see that, right? Because it's changed my account. It's, I'm not even the same person, right? It's an encounter with God that even holds and frees our tongue. For some of us to speak life, for some of us to hold back some of the death we have in our tongue. It's an encounter with God that changes us completely. It doesn't just change our life. It tends to change those we're around, too. And this is where we find ourselves this morning. Just like the disciples that were in the gospel, seeking more of Jesus and waiting. Ugh. that's like the, the worst. All right, it's not the worst. That's an extreme. But it's pretty bad. And waiting for what? Waiting for an encounter. And we cannot hurry it because one thing I'm sure you've come to know, God's in no hurry. God's not in a hurry, you know? I heard a poem one time that says, you know, I don't know about you, but these last days are, are getting kind of long. <laughs> you know, like everybody keeps saying it's the last days. Well, it's been the last days for like 100 years. You know, God is not in a hurry. And w listen, and, 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 and what it comes down to is this. We can only seek him and wait. And this is where we're tested. This is the fire of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is the fire. Will you wait? Distraction is all over. But will you wait? This is where things get weeded out. This is where you really see, like, who really wants God and who doesn't. You know, everybody talks about the desire for, when they see revival or want revival. You read all these books. But I'm telling you, when they trace back someone to revival, when they trace back it to an individual or somebody that prayed, if you tried to have their prayer life, would you make it? You want to think, looking back, you know why there's no, you don't see any Elijahs today? Can you live like Elijah's life? Can you lock yourself away in a cave and feel like you're all alone just praying to the God every day and talking with him every day? Can you handle the loneliness? Everybody loves Jeremiah, the first chapter of Jeremiah, where I have formed you, I know you, I created you in the womb, I've set you out, I've given you mission. And we all love that chapter, and we quote it, we get ready to go do ministry, right? But we forget chapter 20 when he goes, I wish I'd never been born, right? 
Some of us, you know, it doesn't take us till chapter 20. We're like chapter 2. Okay, I'm done. I've been waiting for a whole chapter. Like some of us can't. We struggle to wait. The, the world's distracting. We're a microwave gen- At least even my generation's a microwave generation. Right? I want food, and I want it in 10 minutes. Water burger. Right? I want you to take... I want you to make me good food in an unbelievable less amount of time than it probably would take to make really good food, you know? And I'm angry about it if I don't get it instantly, right? Man, a culture that promotes this, no wonder it's hard to wait. It's hard to wait. And here's where we find ourselves, right? One thing's for sure, patience has sifted many a person that sought after great things. They say, they say nine out of ten people have a great idea that could really change the American landscape with owning a business or whatever that is. Only one out of ten actually act on it. Patience sifts many good things. It does. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. <clears throat> Are we there? Say amen. I like it. I like it. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. They're not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up in a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. And as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Now, if you go down to verse 15, it later reveals that during this time when about 120 believers were together in one place, and this is kind of further collaborated there in Acts 2.1, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. This is where it begins. This is where everything starts. In one place together. It starts in one place together. We start out together. Together. We search for this together. We adventure all through this whole thing together, right? We stay together. Why? Because we pray together. We suffer together. You don't get to the next scriptures You don't get to the Holy Spirit falling down and pouring itself out without first combing past these scriptures. You don't get Acts 2 without Acts 1. It doesn't happen that way. You cannot deny either the closeness of the early church. They were a people who were brought together as a family through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just like you and I. Just like you and I. 
and it bound them together stronger than any of their family ties. Their togetherness gave them hope because they lived everything together. They weren't even all blood related, but they did it all together. And by doing it together, by going through life together, they suffered together, they laughed together, they cried together, they held each other. All, all of this created community, created family. This is what the Lord intended to be church. Now, the result of the outpouring, what's going to happen as the, as the Holy Spirit pours itself out, right? That's going to be a wonderful thing because that's God's intention to share this with everyone. A family that loves each other, serves each other, shares with each other, gives to each other, loves each other. And their reward for their togetherness, they had an unexplainable encounter with a living God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And can I tell you, it's baffled scholars and theologians to this day. They still don't know what to make of it. And this isn't to be confused. Let me say this. It's with an experience, right? Experiences are a dime a dozen. They are. You will have an experience sometime today. Guarantee you that you will, that'll make your day today, whether it's down there at the Whataburger because some, you know, I, I mean, you just don't know. Like or at Walmart, because there's some experiences at Walmart, Right? <laughs> They're a dime a dozen, but an encounter with God will change you forever. It will change you. And while any church, I truly believe, can promise you an experience, because listen, we're smart. We know a lot about psychology today. I mean, let's just be honest. I've been moved at a lot of concerts and thought this might be the awesomest. Hey, listen, there's, I've got a guy, a buddy, um, that does like a Phil Collins tribute band, and every time I hear him sing and sounds just like Phil Collins, that's an experience. I'm not going to lie. He was a kid that used to be in my youth group, and to see what he's doing today and be so moved by, like, look at him trying to, he's trying to emulate his, one of his heroes, you know, and, and all that. That's an experience. That's a neat experience, but it's not an encounter with God. It's not like that. It's not. Churches can promise, they can do a lot of things, but one thing they can't do is they can't promise you an encounter with God. I can't bring you into church and say, man, today is the day you are going to encounter God. You know why? Because God, I love C.S. Lewis. God is not a tame lion. I don't get to put him in a cage and go, look at God. Come see God. Come experience. I don't get to do that with God. God does whatever God wants to do. We don't get to herald him in. We don't get to make him come down. By the way, God doesn't have to come down. He's always here. But when he wants to make himself known, God didn't have to come down on Paul in the Damascus Road. He was already there. Paul bumped into him. He was already there. An encounter with God changes. And this is our journey this year. This is 2019, our first step foot forward. We are going to search and push for and drive for an encounter with the Lord. And can I tell you, it's not going to be easy. It's going to mean countless hours of prayer and a greater need for faith. And I'm going to tell you one thing I know you don't pray for. I know you don't pray for patience. Amen. Don't lie. Amen. I know, and listen, here's the unfortunate part. You probably don't pay for, pray for faith either because faith requires pain. Faith requires you be put in a situation where you have to believe that outcome is going to happen because everything's telling you it's not. So most of us don't go, Lord, I, what I need is more faith. And he's like, okay, I'm going to shrink your finances down to nothing. And you're like, that's the devil. No, you prayed for it. You prayed for faith. You prayed for that. God said, I gave you what you want, and then you complain about that. 
You want more faith? I'll give you more faith, right? This is, this is how it is. This is where we begin. Nothing's easy. It's going to take prayer. It's going to take things, right? There will be struggles. But in that struggle, right, this is where we find community. Or how I'm, my East Texas redneck just wants to call it togetherness. This is where we find togetherness. Like the early church, suffering and struggling. That's what brought them together. That's what brought them together. Remember, I mean, everybody, remember the story when Peter gets free and the bar's far down, right? He goes to the prayer service. He knocks on the door and they're like, oh my gosh, he's standing at the door. We've been praying for this guy to be free and he's standing at the door. I don't think they really believe it's him. Like, hey, can you hang on real quick? We're playing for this guy to get out of jail. And it's the guy. It's the guy standing right in front of him. I don't, I don't think they get that. But here's these neat moments, right? That suffering is causing, this was creating is creating the prayer, <laughs> right? This is where we're going to find ourselves. We, we're going to bring ourselves together. We're going to bring ourselves together so that we can encounter the Lord. When we encounter Jesus, it's, this is what bonds us. This is what brings us closer together, right? And if you look at the early church, this is what made them so close, Right? They were closer than blood. They died for this thing. Man, I, I don't know if you know this, but Peter had a wife. Because he has a mother-in-law. But how many times you hear about her? This thing, encountering God, shifted his life. Of what the focus of his life was, of what the ministry of his life would be. It, it totally changed his focus, right? But the one thing, before we can get to that encounter, the one thing that, that we see them do, the one thing we see in Acts 1 is this, that they're together. And that they're at one place. Together and at one place. Just like us. Just like this morning. Today this is our modus operandi. man. This is our uh, uh, mission. We will encounter God. And we will not budge. Until we do. Until we do. This is our plan. And I don't know about you. But this is my call out. I, have, I am preparing my own spirit to work. With this single objective all year long. To encounter the living God. To become a place. Where you can encounter the living God. Where we are bathed in prayer. Where we are bathed in faith. And we are bathed in the spirit. That is what I long for. Why? Because I've had an encounter with God. And the one thing. And I think it gets jumbled up in stuff sometimes. Over tradition. As someone who's hung around the Pentecostal church. Didn't grow up in church at all. But has hung around the Pentecostal church a lot in my life. People who have had encounters. Some serious encounters with God. Now I think there's been a lot of mistake over the years. To think that what they really liked was. They had an encounter of God because of the music. Or they had an encounter of God because of the preaching. Or they had an encounter. And maybe there's some mistakes there. But the one thing you can't deny them. The reason there's this longing to go back. Is because they had an encounter with God. And I'm telling you. If you have an encounter of God. You watch if you're not always trying to go back. Why? Because it changes you. Something happens to you that you can't explain. You know how much I'd love to just go be Baptist or Methodist or Episcopalian? They tell me all the time, like when we try to talk, because I love my Baptist brothers. I love my Methodist brothers. We talk all the time. I said, and they here, even in Marble Falls, I've had them here ask me, what is it? We laughed about it the first year. Some of you remember this. They threw my hat in there for the youth pastor position at First Baptist Church. I didn't even apply for the job. But somebody knew me over there and said, bro, I can't go be Baptist, man. I'm Pentecostal. You know that, right? 
It's like, oh, man, you just, just don't have to. No, I can't change that. I had, an exp- I had an encounter with God. I can't explain what happened to me. And your theology can't either. It doesn't like it. And I don't know what to do about that. I don't know what to do. I can't deny that it didn't happen because I feel like to deny that it happened is to deny that Jesus is alive. Because that encounter was the proof, the visible, tangible proof that Jesus is alive. I don't have to guess at that. You might have to use theology and scripture to come to your own conclusion. But for me, I had an intangible encounter to which I can't explain. Jesus is alive. I can't tell you how I know. I just know that I know. I can't be turned back. There's no way of going back for me. Can't go back. There's nothing to go back to. God decided he was going to put himself in front of me like Paul on the Damascus Road, knock me off my horse of intelligence, knock me off my horse on what I thought was smart or what I thought was right, and show me who he really was. This is the same thing that's going to happen to the disciples. As they're together and they're in one place and they're waiting, something is going to happen. A single event that will shift their entire course of their lives. Because at this point, they don't know what else to do. Jesus said, wait. So that's what they do. Guys, they could have been waiting there for a long, long time. What I always love about the early church is they had the expectancy to believe that Jesus, when he said it, he meant like tomorrow. They were always, like I love about the early church, they always thought it was tomorrow. When Jesus said, I would be coming, they thought any week now. By the way, they saw him ascend into heaven, so that seems pretty valid, right? So when they said, hey man, he's coming back, that could be like at the end of the year. So we better function and act as if he's coming back tomorrow. Because it's quite possible he is. He left in a way that we weren't prepared to watch. I mean, they saw him ascend into heaven. I can only imagine what they thought he was going to come back like. And when God finally does show up in the upper room, despite all their praying and seeking, all the things that they think they know about Jesus, Jesus shows up in a way, or the Holy Spirit shows up in a way that they're not prepared for. And it takes the Holy Spirit upon them to even give them the right words. Because they'd never witnessed anything like it. Look over at Acts 2, verses 1 through 7. Acts 2, verses 1 through 7. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like a roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. And at that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. So this is unprecedented. There's nothing like this. It's unusual. By the way, it's not natural. You don't just start speaking and then other languages just come out of you. That's not natural. People don't do this. They couldn't make this happen, right? Couldn't have engineered this. They've been sitting in the upper room the whole time. They had to wait. They had to wait. 
There's no other way this was going to happen. They had to, to wait. God isn't something to be commanded. They couldn't just pray God to come down. No, Jesus said, wait for him to come. He will come when he's good and ready. And when he does, you need to be waiting. You need to be found two things, right? Together and waiting. God comes when he chooses. And yet when he shows up, he's kind of a show off. God does big things. And when Jesus told them to wait, they had no idea what was coming, did they? Hey, this Holy Spirit's going to come. What's it going to be like? I don't know. You know, I, I feel like that a lot of times when people ask me at the church, well, what about this? Well, I don't know. Why don't you know, man? Leaders should know everything. Can I mean, tell that to the early church? Because they had no clue. Can you, I mean, like, I, if you really look at a lot of leadership in the Bible, there's a lot of blind leadership. I mean, the whole book of Exodus is pretty blind leadership. God told him to go stay in the desert, and he roamed in circles for that entire time, and they hated him for it. They murmured so much, even his family, if you remember that, men. Remember, remember Miriam and, and Aaron? I mean, at one point, I think he gives a, a disease to Miriam because she won't shut up backbiting him. But let's face it, like, what she probably accused him of, all you've been doing is walking us around in circles. Truth. <laughs> Truth. Well, that's what God told me to do. You know, that's so crazy when you think about it. God, Jesus tells his disciples, right now they're just regular men that follow Jesus. Jesus tells them, sit here and wait. Sit here and wait. What do you think they're praying for? I started thinking about this. Well, they're probably praying for people to come. Or what are they praying for, people to know Jesus? No, there's no ministry yet. They don't know. They just know God said, wait. I got to think at this point, just knowing how we are as humans, they're praying, God, please help me stay and wait. If I'm Peter, knowing how much Peter likes to sleep, Lord, please let me stay awake. <clears throat> how many times is he sleeping while Jesus is praying, right? I mean, we hear that a lot. They're all sleeping. Lord, please just let us keep praying where we don't fall asleep, God. How many of you have had to pray that, right? Like, I'm going to get up and I'm going to pray early in the morning. And then you're like five minutes in after you've done the laundry list. I always call it the laundry list, you know, where you think about everything you should be doing other than praying in that moment right? It takes me longer. I always say it takes me at least 30 minutes to pray because the first 15, I'm trying to like decide my whole day. I'm bullet pointing my day. I'm talking to myself. And then about 15 minutes in is the repent factor for the first 15 minutes of praying. All right. And then I finally get into the prayer. Finally, I've like got all that out of me. I've exhausted. And here's what I've come to like know about that time of prayer. That's the prayer of me where I'm struggling with self so bad that the first minute of my prayers are dedicated to myself. And then I have to crucify that in my prayer, right? That's the repent part. I'm crucifying my flesh. God, it's not about me. It's about you. It takes me 15 minutes to figure that out, God. I know some are faster than others. Help me, God. I'm slow. And then I move on, right? That's why it's easy. To me, it's easy to understand somebody praying for an hour because probably the first 15 minutes are all about you. So I'm, if, I'm, if I'm in the upper room, that's my thoughts. Lord, help me wait. Lord, help this not to be about me right now. Lord, my knees hurt. Lord, my back hurts. Right? Lord, my feet hurt. Whatever. This is all unprecedented. This is all unusual. Nobody knows what to do. They're just waiting, right? They're just waiting. And they have no idea what it's going to be like. And you know what? I've often found that God doesn't show up the same way twice, and it never is how you think it's going to be. We have all these ideas of how we think God's going to come. Oh, man, when God's going to come, the preacher's going to lay hands on you, you're going to fall down. Not always. Not always. You know, sometimes when God comes, it's just quiet. 
And it's actually nice and easy. Like, rarely have I ever heard God, like, really lift his voice. Like, if God wants to guilt trip me, you know what he does? He just says something nice. Like, Lord, I know, he'll like, you know, I bet you're my beloved son or whatever. I'm like, no, you know I'm the worst. I am horrible. Like, why do you love me? You know, like, basically, that's how God seems to function. At least, God never comes like we think he's going to come. Never shows up the same way twice. We, we have no idea. You can't look back at the past and go, we need to emulate that because it doesn't produce the same thing. God reaches a generation exactly however he wants to reach a generation. And it will be new to you, and it will be new to everything else, too. There will be no precedence in the past, and there will be no precedence moving forward. It will be God's unique thing. In this case, God does something with the human mouth that causes fear and it causes awe. The Bible refers to it as tongues of fire. He describes it as the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And if you've ever heard tongues begin to speak as God moves his spirit upon a congregation or upon a group of people, uh, it does sound like wind. I've been at camp before and watched teenagers really dig in towards the Lord and begin to speak in tongues. And it usually sounds like wind moving throughout the, 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 the trees and stuff. It's like a You'll hear it. Just It is pretty neat. It's pretty neat. And this wind overtook people. It gave the ability to speak in other languages that were obviously not their own. That's crazy. And this rattled all the people that were standing there because they said, how can this be? Why? Because it's impossible. But then again, so is Jesus raising the dead. But it hasn't stopped Jesus yet. He keeps doing the impossible. Jesus raised two people from the dead, and then he resurrected himself. I think he can pretty much do whatever he wants. I don't think we can put a limit on what he can and can't do. Jesus raised people from the dead. That's crazy. And did it always happen this way? No. This is the first time anybody's ever seen something like this. Remember what I said. God never shows up the same way twice. However, there is one constant in the book of Acts and in the rest of Paul's writing that Paul used the sign as tongues as a marker that someone had been baptized by the Holy Spirit. So like when he shows up in the book of Acts later on, he ends up saying, hey, have you been filled with the Spirit? And like, hey, man, we've heard the baptism. We've had that happening. But I don't know what this is. He's well, you, you speak in tongues or anything? He's like, man, we don't know nothing about the tongue thing. And he was like, well, come here. But listen, Paul didn't make a big deal about it because he's also the same guy who goes, hey, I speak in tongues more than y'all, but I actually refrain from it because I don't, unless it's going to edify the body, what point is in doing it? So Paul had wisdom about some of this, right? Paul used the sign of tongues as that marker. Tongues of fire was the evidence that someone had an encounter with God. It wasn't the gift from the Spirit. There's a lot of gifts from the Spirit. Tongues was just the marker, the evidence that it had happened. They had an experience with Jesus, what Jesus called the baptism of fire. Today, when we seek the Lord, this is also the sign we seek. Right? Do you speak in tongues? Why? Not because it's awesome that you speak in tongues. It's because it means that you've had an encounter with God. Right? You've had an encounter with God. By the way, when you have an encounter with God, tongues will make more sense. You're like, oh, yeah, that's why I couldn't talk. Oh, yeah, because uh, I was so in awe and so spiritual stuttering and stammering because of being in awe of the encounter with God, it'll make a lot of sense. But this is not the end result. Tongues are not the end. They're not the end result. They're merely the signpost that you've encountered God. That's all they are. And this is our journey. And it begins here and now. It begins together in one place, right? 
This journey is going to be an adventurous one because we seek that which is dangerous. Make no mistake, God is dangerous. <laughs> he raises things from the dead. <laughs> God does crazy stuff. Have you read the Bible? I mean, it's full of unbelievable events. God let three, you know, a couple of Hebrew boys go into the furnace of a fire and then decided, you know what? By the way, it still would have been a great story if they would have burned up because it would have been like, look at these. It would have, they would have become martyrs. These guys refused to believe in a false god and died believing, right? Wonderful story. We'd be like, the end. By the way, that's every martyr book, right? So they're no big deal there, but God decides, hey, you know what would be a cool idea? Like, let's really freak them out. Let's just let's let the fire not burn them. Yeah, yeah, that's a great story. God's writing is an awesome story, right? He's a great, he's a great writer. And, and, and this is what we go to seek. He's dangerous. God's untamed. You don't get to tell the story. He tells the story. He writes the story. It's going to be difficult. This whole journey is going to be difficult. Seeking an encounter with God is a scary thing to begin with. Going after Him, to pursue Him, to make Him, to, to, to push upon Him and press upon Him, that's a scary thing. And it's not necessarily physically hard, but it is mentally hard. Your patience is going to grow weary. This is where many of you will get sifted from time to time. Your flesh will want to be distracted. Well, I couldn't come to church today because I'm in this little blah, 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 blah. Well, I can't really show it. I, can't, I, don't want to, I don't want to show it for prayer because you know, it's so early in the morning, blah, 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 blah. Well, how bad do you want it? I mean, think about what you really want bad and what you're willing to go do to get it. I mean, think about that. I always find this. It's real simple. That what you're passionate about, you do, no matter how hard it is. If you're passionate about something, you're like, I'll wake up 3 in the morning and go do that. I will make time out of my schedule to go do this, this, and this. I know guys that fish that good night, man. My brothers, they couldn't afford a boat singularly, so they went together to afford a boat because they are going to fish. Those guys, they'll do anything. Like, how can you not make church? Well, it's just, you know, it's so tough. John, you go fish all the time. Like, if I took all the time you put into fishing, you know what kind of minister you'd be? Good night. But John needs an encounter with God. If he has an encounter with God, it changes you. And maybe that's why some of you might struggle there, too. It'll change you. It'll take you out of your normal routine. It'll make some of you quit the things that you love. I had to, I had to end a business because God told me to. I gave up some dreams because God said, hand them to me. But I had an encounter with God. Uh, no regrets. It was worth it. Let me say that. Your patience is grow weary. Your flesh will be distracted. The world will sound off and try to distract you. All right? Be like, I was doing good right up until all these politicians on the news. Then turn the news off. Because <laughs> I get that, right? <laughs> There's a lot of distraction. You'll desire to make excuses as to why you can't be here, why you can't pray, why you can't do this, why you can't exercise your faith. You'll have every excuse under the sun. You'll want... To feel sorry for yourself. It's going to happen. It's mentally so hard. It's so exhausting. All the things that try to keep us from coming to the closer to the Lord. Can I tell you, I'm going to be praying for you every day and rebuking the devil off of you. Because here's what I got to say. The devil knows more than anybody that if a people start to pray, then he's going to have to worry. I mean, really, if he can just keep you from praying and seeking the Lord. He don't have to worry about you having church. If he can just keep making this about you, 
he's fine with you just keep having church. But a praying people, a people that's seeking something greater with God, a people that's seeking an encounter with God, he knows that'll change things. You better expect, you better expect the enemy to rise up. Man, make no mistake, it's going to happen, right? Everything will fight against us. Because here's why, guys. You know what happened when the, listen, the disciples were nobody. Peter was a fisherman. That was his profession, just professional fishermen. I don't know if you watch any of those fishermen shows. Not the cleanest mouth guys, and they're just not clean people, period, right? I mean, you smell like fish for six months. Fish in salt water. Ugh. That's their job, right? That's what he does. That's his profession of choice. Cool deal. There's a lot of guys who wish they were fishermen all year. But he's not in ministry. He's not trained. He's not, he didn't go to college. It's not the profession. God said wait, so they waited. They sat in that upper room going, well, let's, let, let's wait. Jesus hadn't been a disappointment to our lives yet. Jesus made us feel, listen, this is, think about this from a human standpoint. All I know is when I was with Jesus, I was better. When I was with him, things in my life made sense. When I was with him, I saw things that were so unbelievable that this guy has to be the son of God. He has to be it. And he talked to me in such a way and he loved on me in such a way that I can't go back to this old life. I'm going to sit up here and I'm going to wait to see what unfolds. Right? And you take guys who were nobody and you made them disciples of Jesus. But the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of them. The encounter with uh, the El Shaddai, God Almighty, happens, right? And as they see God pour His glory out in an unexplainable fashion, in a, in a, in a, in a fashion of massness, right? Where it affects everyone. All of a sudden, they went from disciples to the Holy Spirit comes into their mouth. And now they're apostles, Maybe some of you, that's what you're scared of the most. You know I mean, people come to me and have a heart for, to do something great for God and, and, and fizz out over time. And I'm telling you there, man, if God's given you a heart to do something for Him, He's trying to show you a joy in your life that's unexplainable. To give you a purpose and a drive. And many times, distraction and the enemy knows, man, if he can come against you and he can, he can be around you and he can distract you and show you, make you think everything is more important than this, than a pursuit of me and the pursuit of helping people find me, then he's going to be okay. Like the devil is fine and content with that. But I'm telling you, God, that's not, that's not just like a feeling or a, a flighting thought. That's a godly ambition and it's a good thing. This all this thing, this this... This thing is all happening to them. They, they went from one to the other. The Holy Spirit changes you. It shifts your focus off you. It shifts your focus off you and onto the Lord. It directs your decisions in life. All of a sudden now, it's not about what I want. It is, what does the Lord think about this? What, is, this <clears throat> is this wise? Uh, uh, is this wise? Is this a holy decision I'm beginning to make? It shifts your priorities. You know, I, now I make decisions based off what's best for others, not necessarily for me because it can't be about me because the gospel is, that's the gospel, right? That it's not about me. I'm here to serve everyone else. I saw something the other day. This is probably the biggest thing we're having to combat with this generation is this generation is the generation that has, has uh, amplified 
Uh, it's not that it hadn't always been there. It has. It has always been there. So I don't want to say it's this generation. They have a problem. And it wasn't us. No, no, we've all had this problem. But they amplify. And they're in living in a time and an age where self is amplified to a whole nother level. And it was, again, it's one of those things you see uh, uh, somebody who was, who was saying, you know, that for 2019, I just need to focus on myself and, and make sure that myself is happy and make sure that myself is taken care of and, and get those people who are speaking negative to me in my life. Man, if that was the case, you know how much like I would just never go to church. <laughs> Come on. We already, I, like, I, w- I wanted to like respond. I didn't because I knew they wouldn't receive, but I wanted to respond and say, um, this is what I battle every day. There, you, no one here has a problem of thinking about themselves. No one. That is not our struggle in mankind. Our struggle in mankind is, is loving others more than ourselves. This is what Jesus asked us to do, to love others more than ourselves. Nobody here struggles from, from loving themselves too much. <laughs> that is happening. That's just flat out happening. We make decisions for ourselves first. We put ourselves first all the time. Well, I got to do what's best for me and mine. Well, man, that's not always the right way to go about. What you need to do is ask the Lord, what is right, Lord? What is right? You know, sometimes, uh, um, sometimes I've had to make decisions not about what I wanted. It was about what was best for what, what, what the Lord wanted, really, and what was best for, unfortunately, for others, not me. That's the part of servant that we don't like, right? I say the word servant, and because we know and understand servant is leader in here, you think because I stand on the platform that I'm, I'm somehow like the leader where I don't really serve as much. That's not true. That's not true. You know what it means? It means I put you first. Don't get me wrong. My family, I have to balance my family and you. It means when you hurt, I hurt with you. I cry with you. I suffer through things with you. I don't have to. I choose to. Why? Because God, I've had an encounter with God. And, and you know what I think as a pastor? Like I think you know what drives me? I know that if you'll just have that same encounter, that'll happen to you too. This is how I always see people. Everybody's awesome plus Jesus. In and of themselves, not so much. Because they all, they're selfish just naturally you're selfish but when we add jesus into the mix and jesus starts to say hey man you should probably care about somebody more than you there should probably be people listen why do you think god gave you a spouse for some of you spouse is not for your happiness it's for your holiness it's to teach you that you're not number one all the time it's the truth that's an ugly truth right (laughs) sorry ladies but my wife already knows this happiness or marriage is about holiness not happiness god gave you a spouse so that you'd learn you're not number one you need to learn how to be number two. Guys, same goes for you. You learn how to be the second fiddle. And if you're both treating each other like they're the most important thing, I promise you, there's a whole lot of happier marriage right there. This is what makes you always compromise back and forth. That makes for a long-lasting marriage, right? I heard a guy one time in a joke. He says, well, how did you make it 50 years in marriage? He goes, man, two words. Yes, dear. That's not true. That's not true because there's sometimes where she had to say, yes, dear. It's a give and take. It's a give and take. Both of you learn. Listen, that same thing you're learning, God gave you that to learn how to love other people. You're you're supposed to love other people in the same fashion, 
right? This is how it works, right? It works. Listen, this is what the apostles did. They had to learn. Can you imagine Paul? Think about Paul in this situation when he goes in Acts and he gets knocked off the horse. This is all after Acts 2. Matter of fact, it's like the latter half of the book of Acts, right? And so when that happens to Paul, he comes back later down the road. He sees Peter, and Peter's not being nice to the Gentiles. Can you imagine the young pastor who's never wasn't did not walk with Jesus, got his ministry career start by killing people who followed Jesus, now is going to come up to Peter and say, you're wrong, man. And you know what's awesome about Peter? Peter goes, and you're right. And he stood convicted. How crazy is that? That's togetherness. Because something had bound them bigger than themselves. The Holy Spirit had done a work in them. They had encountered God and had been changed. They both understood what it was to serve. So they could receive instruction. And they could receive correction. This is what an encounter with God does. It changes you. It shifts your focus off you and onto God. It directs the decisions of your life. It shifts your priorities. Your life will start to see and work around the supernatural. Sure, we see the flames of fire that were seen in Acts 2, but throughout the rest of the book, great miracles and feats of the Bible, it actually, at one point, it says it shook the foundations of the world. There were unbelievable things that happened. It said that when, when believers begin to pray in the Spirit, that they shook the foundations of the world. Listen, Acts 2 happened, past tense, and it's still happening today. And why can't it happen today, right? God is the same God yesterday, today, and forever, amen? What He did then, He will do again. What He did for them, He will do for you. You just need to lay hold of it. And listen, I'm not talking about a wealth, health, and prosperity gospel. I'm promising you this, that if you seek God, He will be found. If you knock, He will open the door. And this is the journey of the road to return to God. A.W. Tozer once said this, God is waiting to be wanted. God is waiting to be wanted. He wants to be found. He wants to be pursued. He wants to be encountered. He wants it. He desires it. He's waiting on you to start the adventure. Come look for me. Come look for me. That's what he's wanting. Come find me. Come pursue me. It's, you don't have to go far. You know, one of the greatest things I told my kids is they're beginning to, early on in life, they were, write, they were trying to write a lot of stuff, and they got into loving these little books. And, and uh, I said, you know, one of the things that I noticed early on, some of the greatest adventures happen in our own backyard. Like, honey, I shrunk the kids. Remember that one? That's in the backyard. They never even left the backyard. I mean, most of these, there's a, like a lot of little stories that really never leave the, their like, immediate surroundings. And I'm telling you, the Lord says, come look for me. And you don't have to go far to find me if you'll just get on your knees. If you'll just seek me with your whole heart. If you'll wake up in the morning and start to talk to me, I will be found. If you keep knocking on that door, I will open it. I promise you. This is our journey, right? And this work isn't the work of our hands that causes us, desires us. It's the hands of God. What he begin in you, he will finish. He is faithful to do so. 
God brought you here. He brought you into salvation. He brought you into who he is. If you but walk a little farther, if you'll but be together with me, if you'll but stay here and wait, he has a whole lot more for you. I remember when I first encountered the Lord, I was in this tiny little church, like tiny church. There was like 30 people there. Uh, Joy and I, maybe like one or two other couples, we were like the youngest ones there. I think I was in my late 20s. And I had done the whole sinner's prayer thing. I pretty much was living, trying to live the saved life, but I hadn't really yet encountered the Holy Spirit. I had gone to a few of these meetings. My wife would take me. She's like, I just know that you just need to have an encounter with God, and I know this will be great for you. And I remember she, she you know, drug me over to a Rodney Howard Brown. If you don't know who that is, is a, he's an old guy now. But back then he had a uh, ministry that, that, that uh, a lot of it was known for the, the laughing in the Holy Spirit, those kind of things that were happening. And, and I was like, okay, let's see some of this. And, and I... Guys, I'm pretty human. Like, I don't want to say I'm the skeptic or pessimistic, but I'm like, well, let's see what you got. You know, like, I'm kind of that guy. Like, let's, let's, I'm pretty plain when it comes to that. I'm not like overly uh, charismatic, right? It's either real or it's not, period. That's, that's one of the reasons, like, I speak in tongues, but I'm like, Paul, I speak in tongues probably more than you all, but I choose not to for the sake of, is it going to actually edify the church? If I started speaking in tongues and you didn't know half of what I was saying, what good would it do? It'd be like an oddity up here, all right? I'm Pentecostal to the bone, but then at that time, I'm not going to fake it. I'm not going to fake Pentecostal. Either encounter God or you don't, real simple. So I would go up there, and I remember, man, there was this line of people. It was like a hundred of them or more, probably more. And as he's coming across, I mean, I just see him, man. He's like not even having to touch, touch, like he's laying hands. I'm like, I'm still learning how all that works and all the old, like wondering about all that. And as he comes by, like, I'm like, well, let's see this. Come on, man. Knock it down. Knock me down, God. Right. And I mean, it's just like everybody's being knocked down. He gets to me and gets going. I was like, and I'm standing there. I'm like, am I the devil? I mean, everybody else felt God, but me. And then I start thinking, some of these dudes are liars. There's no way. I didn't feel nothing. I mean, I didn't feel anything. And I went to these big things all the time. Like, well, I'm going up. I'm going to see it, man. We're going to see if God's going to show up. And the whole meantime, they're doing all this stuff. And there's people falling out of everywhere. And I'm like, I'm the only guy standing up amongst all these 30 people that just fell down. Because I'm unset. And they're looking at me like they're ready to cast the devils out of me. Right? We all know that church. You know what I'm talking about where they come to you and like because you didn't fall down. They automatically assume Satan's in our church today. We got to get him out. Well, brother, I'm leaving. I'm sorry. You know, and, and, and why? Because I just want something real. God, you're not. Listen, no preacher's knocking me down. No wave of the fist is going to knock me down. God, you either show up or I ain't going down. Some people are like, well, that's a little much. Well, that's the way I am. God made me. I'm not going to apologize for how he made me. But you know what? In that little 30-person church, with all these older uh, uh, individuals, all these older generation that's there. And these three older ladies, man, they, when they spoke in tongues, you know, you just felt like, man, probably something's about to happen. I mean, they, they would get after it. They had a prayer language. They had learned to develop their prayer language, something we need to work on this year. And, and they, they got together, and there was this talk about us being, they wanted me to be a youth minister and that kind of thing because I love Jesus. But I hadn't had a really an encounter with God, so I'm kind of manually making things happen. You know what I mean by that? I mean, like I'm willing things to happen. There, there's a point where the Spirit of God takes over in you and things become effortless. 
And then there's this point where you're just doing the work. And I had been doing the work. All right? I've been doing the work, believing that someday God's going to give me the heart for the work. I believe it's the right thing. So I'm doing the work. But then there comes that point when you encounter God and God goes, it's no longer a work. Right? And in the middle of that prayer, me and like two other guys they're praying for, something happened to me. Something to begin to, it like right here, right here where the, where the sternum comes to the end and the, the ribs come out, I begin to feel like a burning. And I thought, okay, this is weird. And it began to like, I don't want to say like it hurt, but it was like a burning that, that began to overtake my whole gut. And from there, things started coming out of my mouth. And I couldn't talk. And I was trying to talk. I was trying to pray and trying to talk, but I couldn't talk. And man, I have never been the same. I've never been the same. For like, like <laughs> residual effect, for the next month, just so you have to know this, I danced on the pews most every Sunday. <laughs> Literally got up on top of the pew and just danced and enjoyed the Lord. Pretty distracting. Great thing about going to an older church, they love to see people on fire. It reminds them. So they enjoyed it. For me, it was liberating. It was liberating. I had an encounter with God nowhere near where I thought it would happen. Right? I don't have the big story where I was in the big church and this guy laid hands on me and I fell out, you know, and God threw me back 30 feet as the gold dust rained down on top of me. And I don't have that. Some of you laugh because you're like, oh, yeah, he's bringing up the past now. He's really talking about the charismatic circles now. Yeah, I don't have that story, right? I don't have that. I have these three little old ladies that prayed for me. And I know that there's times where some people take that for granted. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, when somebody knows how to pray and somebody's built up in the faith, this is God listens to you. God hears people. And this can happen to you. This can happen to you. This is where things begin, right? That what happened to me then still fuels me today. It's given me a gasoline tank that don't ever burn out. It don't ever burn out. That happened to me almost 20 years ago. Not quite, but almost. And I am still fueled by that one encounter. I still go looking for an encounter with God again that will make me feel like that. Can I tell you, it never has happened. But the pursuit has been the joy of my life. And if I never found it, I found it once. And some of you who haven't, this is your year. This is your year. You know why? Because it needs to be. It needs to be. Aren't you tired? Aren't you ready? Man, I'm going to tell you something. The heck with lithium batteries. I've got a deal for you. <clears throat> it ain't going to come easy. And it's highly expensive. Because it costs you your time. It's going to cost you your time. It's not going to cost you your money. It costs you your time. I had to be there together with those people that day 
praying and allowing them to pray over me. I had to surrender my ideas of what I thought God was going to do. I thought he would find me at the Rodney Arbor. I thought he'd find me at all these big preachers that have these boastful ministries. I thought he'd find me there. No, God found me in a little 30-person church with a couple of older ladies who believed Jesus was still going to show up in their day and do a great thing. And can I tell you, if I'm the birth of anything, I'm the birth of three little old ladies that have yet to give up on God and believe that God could still burn a fire into somebody else that tarries the passion to a next generation. Gasoline still burning. So it starts here. It starts today. We're going to do worship. When we do worship, we're going to begin to pray. And that prayer is not going to stop. It's going to leak over into Monday morning because Monday morning I'm going to get up bright and early and I'm going to be over here at 5 o'clock. You don't have to meet me. You don't have to do anything. But if you want to, if you decide to seek, if you decide to knock, some of you is like, man, I know it's far, I know it's thing, then get up and pray on your own. Get up and seek God. Get on your face in the morning. Find your time. I don't know about you, but I'm not at even time. After 3 o'clock, all creativeness, all everything is gone. So if I'm going to give God my best, it better come in the morning because for me, my best is not the night. My bed gets the best of me at the night. But in the morning is my best. So I'll get up early. It's the reason it's going to be 5 a.m. and 6 a.m. is not because I want it to be. It's because I still got to take kids to school. I got priorities too. I got a job just like you. I'm going to do this and do my job. And still carry on my responsibilities. Why? Because I want something. You, I have something. I had an encounter with God. And I want you to have an encounter with God. And I want it bad enough that I'm willing to be here every Monday between 5 and 6 a.m. To, to see that or to pray that you will. Because you know what I do know from being the preacher for a while and understanding now the whole laying of hands and everything? That I don't do a thing. You know, all I can do is pray. I can symbolically believe with you and let, touch my hands and, and us, we can have that spirit of togetherness. But I can't make it happen. I don't get to command God, tell God, hey, God, I need you to show up now. Make us awesome so everybody knows about us. No, I don't care what people know about us. What I care about is this. If you had an encounter with God, you are going to make him known. And people will talk about you the way they talk about me. Man, that guy's radical, man. I know that that guy believes in Jesus. Probably one of the best things that will ever be said about you, right? So I'm going to open this place, 5 a.m. to 6 a.m., right? When summer comes, we'll change some of those hours. But for right now, that's the time. And I'm specifically going to pray for the Holy Spirit to pour itself out upon our services, upon our lives, upon our community. Because it's God who changes things, not us. There's no outreach we can do that's going to change this community. Only Jesus can change this community. <clears throat> Let me say it again. Only Jesus can change this community. <clears throat> and these are the days of revival. These are the days. I'm declaring a time of the upper room once more where we are together and at one place. I am going to call you out on attendance, not because that makes you save, but because together in one place is where it starts. We don't get Acts 2 without Acts 1, guys. You can't ignore it. You can't ignore it. It starts together, hungering for something bigger than us. These are the days of revival. And my hope is that you'll join me. You're not going to get a guilt trip. I don't do that. I don't do that. Who wants it? 
Who wants it? It will change your life. It'll change the life of your family. It'll change the life of your kids. It'll change the life of your house. Some of that you might like, some of that not so much, but I promise you this, God will love it. <laughs> and if God loves it, it must be good. This is where big things begin, with a mustard seed worth of hope. Tiny little sliver of hope, waiting together, praying together, staying together, meeting together, being faithful together. You don't get X2 without X1. Let's bring the worship team back in. This is where it begins, and this is where we begin. Let's pray. Father, as we get ready, Lord, to worship you and to uh, praise you and to adore you, Lord. Lord, I have spoken the words you've asked me to speak, Lord. Now, Lord, what happens, Lord, I, I pray that it, you water it, the seed that you planted. That, Lord, it would be like the days of old where we met together and we prayed together. And Lord, you showed up and you showed out. This morning, I don't know who in here, maybe they brought something uh, from their life that needed prayer. Maybe they brought something that they needed to talk with you about. Maybe there's things and there's struggles in their own lives, God. And I don't know what that is, God, but you do. And this morning, then Lord, I am praying from a word. I am praying that you will give a word to them, Lord. That you'll speak to them like you spoke to Lazarus. The thing that which they think or they believe is dead in them will be revived and reborn once more. That they will find a new uh, energy, Lord, that comes from an encounter with you. Lord, I pray that they would be changed forever. Lord, that it changed their countenance, it changed their speech, it changes everything. I pray that it affect not only their kids, but their kids' kids. And Lord, from generation to generation to generation, God. That it be a legacy, a legacy of pursuit. Lord, we just seek you. Lord, give us pure hearts, God. Clean our hands, clean our thoughts, God. Help us to just pursue you, to just pursue you, Lord. And Father, as we prepare our hearts for worship, God, May it be the moment where our eyes lift up and our heart calls out, Father, come down. Come down, Lord. Come down and meet us face to face, God. Meet us face to face, Lord. Right where we're at. Come down now, Lord. Pour out your spirit in this place, God. Pour out your spirit in this place, Lord. Help us to be the change we want to be, God. Show us who you are. Change us from the inside out, God. stand this morning.